Okay. Good morning, everyone. I really appreciate Brent giving me the opportunity today to come and to be a part of preaching this wonderful book of First Peter. Um, when we retired from here, man, it's been two and a half years ago or so, um, I thought, well, I hope I have some opportunity sometimes to preach. And now for the past year and three quarters, we've been preaching most weekends in Medford. So the Lord has kind of, he heard that thought. He heard that thought. This uh, series in First Peter is so wonderful. It's such a wonderful, encouraging book. And uh, I want you to get your Bibles out and turn to First Peter chapter 5 or turn in your app to that place where we're going to be today. Um, I have a watch here that's not... This is not an unusual watch. A lot of people have these. This is an Apple Watch, right? And there's something about this, this newer generation of Apple Watches. Uh, it is probably more uh, concerned about me than most people. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it is sending me messages constantly. It encourages me to get out there and exercise. It says, come on, you can do it. You did it yesterday. You're crushing it. It gives me lots of encouraging messages. It uh, tells me to keep up the good work. You are awesome. You know, it's a, it's an, I'd buy this just for all the affirmation. It also tells me something. It says, you need to slow down and take a breath. I thought, well, that's a mixed message. You're telling me to crush it and go for it. But now it says, uh, you know, slow down, take a breath, breathe right now. It also watches over my heart believe it or not. Uh, it, it, uh, it's got an EKG monitor in it. And uh, several years ago, I had my first Apple Watch. I had a little stroke. And when I went to see my, my regular doctor following up, he said, oh, you got an Apple Watch. Let me see your phone. He got my phone out and he looked and he says, oh yeah, here's the moment you had your stroke. He could go back and look because my watch had told my phone what was going on with my heart. Uh, it also can report if I'm in an accident and can call for help. And like I said, this watch seems to care for me than more than a lot of people care for me. But I want to report to you today that we have someone who the Bible describes as sticking closer than a brother who is much more attentive than any watch and much more attentive than any person to our lives and, and where we're at and where we are in the fight in our lives. Because... Peter doesn't pull any punches, and I'm not trying to be cute with the, the theme here, but he pulls no punches as to what we actually do face in our lives. It's not just a lot of happy talk. Feel good, everything's going to be good. He's not playing a little ukulele and singing a little song to us. He's actually telling us the truth. This is what you're facing, but the good news of how we are facing it with God's help. The message today is titled, Standing Firm. Uh, in the middle of all of the things that we may go through, in the middle of the fight, we can stand firm. Now, I want to review for you, and I, I've enjoyed listening to Brent. What we typically do is, is when we uh, leave Medford, we leave about noon down there. And uh, when we leave, we go on YouTube and we put Brent's message on and listen on the way back. So I try to keep current with what's happening here. Um, but when you started this, at the very beginning, Peter made clear who he was writing to. And this is going to appear on the screen. This is from my text today, but it gives us a setting. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, uh, Peter says this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, and scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, Asia, and Benintia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Uh, we recently were in Turkey and we went to Cappadocia. And uh, we, we saw there that for, uh, for centuries people have made caves to live in. And many of these caves in that area were inhabited by Christians who were seeking to escape the persecution that they were going through. So when Peter writes this, he's writing to those people. People who are literally, because of their faith, living in a cave. Living, living just uh, doing their best to escape what may happen to them because of their faith. These people, he said, were, were scattered. The church had been scattered through persecution. These were folks under pressure. All through, uh, they, they had been scattered into five regions of the, of the known world, uh, different regions of the Roman Empire, all over northern Turkey. They were scattered strangers going through difficult times. And 15 times in this letter, which is a brief letter, it's only five chapters. So 15 times in these short chapters, Peter mentions that they are under persecution. He kept, he kept mentioning it. You're being persecuted. I know you're being persecuted. And it was all because of their choice for living godly. The godly will not escape difficult times. The godly have God's help through difficult times. Now, uh, they were also blamed on a government level. Nero blamed Christians for the burning of Rome. Uh, by the way, he didn't fiddle during the burning of Rome. They hadn't invented violins, so he couldn't have done that. Uh, Peter was eventually crucified by Nero, and Paul was martyred by him. So this was a very, very difficult time. I want to read today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 11, if you can follow along there with me, because this is where our text comes from. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter in this paragraph covers a lot of ground. And uh, more, more things are talked about there than I have in these uh, few minutes we're going to share together today. So some things you may, you may have just seen and I just read, you're going to go, well, Todd, you forgot to talk about that. Well, it's not that I forgot. It's just that we got to pick and choose a little bit today because there's so much in there. But here are some things that jump off that page to me. Number one. God is encouraging us to leave our concerns with Him. Amen. To leave our concerns with God. Persecution brings concerns. We, we, we get anxiety when we are going through difficult times. When we're in the battle of life, there are concerns that come our way. And anxiety is actually a severe issue in our society, not just for believers. We live in a, in a world where anxiety is, levels are ratcheted way up. We are told that 40 million people in our country are living in acute anxiety. 
uh, or chronic anxiety, I should say. The most common psychological order disorder in the United States is listed as anxiety. Anxiety touches us in so many different forms and varied ways. We have social anxiety. We have PTSD. There's phobias, stresses, worries. Everyday anxieties about uh, life and how we're going to just navigate the things that we're going through. And panic disorder. Nearly everybody experiences stress and anxiety on some level. It's not just the, the segment of people who are clinically full of anxiety, but all of us have anxiety. And it shows up in some pretty surprising places. One of the main places that we're now seeing anxiety grow is among college youth. College students are experiencing tremendous amounts of of anxiety. Uh, It's reported that 73% of college students report moderate to severe anxiety. Uh, Recently, they took a poll at Cornell University, and they asked them how much anxiety they experienced, and 40% of the students said that they have anxiety levels that take them to at least a week every year to where they are absolutely non-functioning. On the streets and highways, we have drive-by shootings and drive-by accidents and rage. In families, many police calls are... Uh, are, are called because of levels of anxiety that have come up in the home and they call the police for help to come in and intervene, which, by the way, is one of the most dangerous calls a policeman can go to. Uh, in the workplace, there's performance anxiety and strained relationship between coworkers. And anxiety levels, we understand, grew during the pandemic. It's growing worse, as I said, for young adults. I read two stories recently about two young recent college graduates. One, her name was Katie Meyer. And by, by telling these stories, I'm not telling something that's not uh, in the news and being reported, so I'm not disclosing something I shouldn't. But there was a young lady named Katie Meyer. She was the star soccer goalie at Stanford University. Uh, a, a, a tremendously bright future in her life. And in the middle of her senior year, she committed suicide. And the report her family gave, and they actually, there's a lawsuit going on right now, is that she received so much pressure from the school to perform that she finally just snapped. The anxiety was too much. Chrisley Christ was an attorney. She had her MBA from Wake Forest, nominated for two Emmy Awards and the 2019 Miss USA. She took her life in 2022. The report was that she had high-functioning depression. These It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter how people may even look at you and assume you, above all people, have it all together. The anxiety and the stress and the pressures that are on people's lives are very real. So at times like this, when we think about this level of pressure that people are under, there is something wonderful I want to declare to you today. Jesus said, put all your stress on me. Put it all on me. When the anxiety rises, when the stress levels go up, when the pressure is turned uh, even, even tightened even more, Jesus said, that's when I am with you more than ever. Throw your anxieties on me. And when Peter said to cast our anxieties on him, I want you to look and see what that means. He means when we cast it on him that we do it once and for all. That it's a final decision, not a temporary relief. We're all, we, we are often looking for a temporary, uh, a temporary fix for our pressures or for our problems. But Jesus says, I'm not a temporary relief for you. I'm not a valve that you can just pop off occasionally. I am the answer for your life 
continually. And when we cast something on him, it belongs then to him. And when we go back to it and say, oh, I need to worry some more about my taxes. I need to worry some more about my marriage. I need to worry some more about my job. I need to worry more today about my education. I need to worry more today about my health. I'm going to pick that back up. Jesus is literally saying to us, hey, that's mine now. You gave that to me. That is something not for you to pick back up. When we cast our anxieties on him, we are casting that those things that have happened in the past, the things that are happening right now, and the things that are happening in the future. We are giving it all to him. We do it in total, not piecemeal. And we kind of do this. We pick and choose the anxieties or the stresses or the problems that we have, and we go, well, these are the ones I'm going to give to Jesus, and these little ones I can handle. It makes about as much sense as going out to your garden and saying, now here are the big weeds. I'm going to pull those, but those little ones are no problem. Because what happens to little weeds? They become big weeds later. So how about we give him the little weeds as well as the big ones now because he is able to handle them all. Peter knew about anxiety. When he wrote about anxiety, he wasn't just theoretically talking about it or saying, well, I've never had any, but some of you may. Look at the report of his life through the Gospels in the book of Acts. He had a sick family member who apparently she was very sick, his mother-in-law, and Jesus came and healed her. He had bills that he could not pay. He had taxes that he had no way to take care of, and Jesus provided for him and himself through going out in a miracle and finding the, 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 the coin in the fish's mouth to pay their taxes. He was terrified in the middle of multiple storms, and every time Jesus delivered him, he rashly cut off the, the, the ear of the high priest, which, was going to, which would have huge ramifications, both for the guy who lost his ear and the guy who cut it off. And Jesus heals the man's ear and and gets Peter out of that difficult situation. He was imprisoned, facing trial and possible uh, possible execution, and God sent an angel to deliver him and to walk him right out of that jail. So if 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 you want to say with me, well, Peter, does he really know what he's talking about? Yes, he certainly does. He had been through many different difficult situations, and God answered every time. So what does Jesus say about putting our anxiety on him? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus made these statements. He said, I tell you, don't worry about your life, but seek first the kingdom and and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The the, The word worry that Jesus used there is a very interesting word because it means to choke or to strangle. So if, uh, if, you, if something comes into your life that is causing you worry, it has literally got you around the throat and it is choking you, cutting off your air supply and your ability to function. It's difficult to seek the kingdom of God when we're concerned by worry. So Jesus says these two things are going in opposite directions. When you cast off your worry and you begin to seek the kingdom of God, you're removing yourself from that worry. Uh, recently I read on a little motivational calendar that somebody gave us that worry is like paying somebody else's debt. You don't need to be overcome or, or spending that capital on worry because Jesus is doing it for us. Now the second truth that Peter has for us about these times that we live in is that he says we need to be vigilant during times of stress. This is not a time to let down our guard. I love the imagery that we've seen on the screen of the boxer. And a person who's in the ring has to be constantly vigilant because his opponent is going to strike if he possibly can. 
And we're called to be vigilant during these times. Look at verses 8 and 9 for what Peter said. He said, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We have a vicious enemy, and Peter tells us something about him. He says we need to respect him because he's dangerous. He's vicious. I respect the danger of electricity, but I use it every day. Because I, because I, I understand what it can do. And I, so I, I, I don't rip wires open or stick my hand into the, into the fuse box at my house because I know that would be dangerous. But I have no fear of turning on the light or starting the oven or doing any of those things because I have a healthy respect of it. Many people are on one extreme or another when it comes to Satan. Many people don't just respect him. They absolutely give him opportunity to bring fear into their lives. So the devil's after me. The devil's after me. The devil's working in my life. I'm in a, and so often we use phrases like, I'm in a spiritual warfare. What we're meaning is we're, we're, we're terrified. And we do not need to be terrified of the enemy. We need to respect him because we know what he can do given the opportunity, but we will not give the devil a foothold. We won't give him that opportunity because we respect him. We know how not to fall into those things. Peter says he's like a roaring lion looking for a victim to devour. He's on the prowl. He's looking for those opportunities. Yet Peter's command here leads us to confidence. He says in the face of the devil, we're to be self-controlled and alert. Roaring lions roar to intimidate. An actual hunting lion would never roar because think about it. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to go out and get me a gazelle and I walk out into the middle of the field and go, oh, I'm going to tune it up here, I'm going to roar. Well, they're all scattering. The roaring lion is looking to intimidate. The devil wants to intimidate you and the work and the purpose that you have from God. Satan's roar wants to freeze us, cause us to change direction, cause us to no longer uh, take up the purposes God has for us. He knows if he can't kill us, he at least wants to make us in, uh, uh, ineffective and, and to freeze us up. I wonder how many of you have left the purpose that God had for you, a ministry or something that you knew God had called you to do, but you got intimidated. You heard the roar of, of intimidation. You heard the roar of persecution. You heard the enemy was against you. And so we freeze up. We're intimidated. Alert people are not caught by surprise by the devil. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, said this about him. He, said, he says, be careful that Satan will not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We have the intelligence. It's been given to us. The military intelligence has been given to us by God. He says, this roaring lion is working against you, but you know his plans. You know his schemes. So Peter says, resist him standing firm in the faith. What does it mean to resist the devil? Resisting means that I'm, I am firmly committed to God. I resist because I am standing firmly on what God has called me to be, and I'm going to resist what the, what the devil wants. A few verses earlier, Peter speaks to that principle in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble ourselves, put ourselves under God's hand, and he will lift us up when we need it. James agrees with that strategy. 
when he says, surrender to God, resist the devil, and he will actually run from you. The devil does not like people to humble themselves before God and to resist him. He actually has to flee from that. John speaks of the defeat of the spirit of Antichrist, which is present in the world now. In 1 John 4, 4, he says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. So we respect the enemy, but we do not fear the enemy. The third thing I want to bring to you from what Peter said is this. He says, we have a reason to stand firm. And that reason is this. God is in control. God's in complete control. Nothing ever occurred to God. God never finally came to a decision. God was never taught anything. And God never finally rose up and said, well, finally, I now have control. God is in control. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just look them in the eye and say, God's in control. I need you to say it more firmly than that. Say it again. God is in control. Look at what Peter said in verse number 10. He said, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered. That, those phrases in there are so important. There's, a, there's some things I want you to unpack with me today as we are coming to, believe it or not, we're turning the corner for the home stretch of this message. First of all, the first thing he, he tells us is this. Suffering is to be expected in life. Boy, and that's probably something that we're, we're going, oh, I didn't want to hear that. But suffering is to be expected in life. And when we think that somehow we will never have a difficulty, never suffer, never go through a challenge, we have set ourselves up for a disappointment. Because suffering is expected in life. I don't know if you recently saw the news, if you read, if you catch up on sports and stuff, but uh, Megan Rapinoe, the, the great female soccer player here in the United States, recently played in her last game, and six minutes in, she ruptured her Achilles. It was scheduled to be her last game. This was going to be her last big hurrah. She ruptures her Achilles. She was angry. And in a, in, in, in a profane-laced press conference after the game, she said this. She says, I'm not a religious person or anything, but if there was a God, this certainly proves he's not alive. She says, this proves there's no God. Why? Because she had a difficult day. How often, though, do we kind of say, have that same sentiment? Well, if there was a God... My divorce wouldn't have happened. If there was a God, I wouldn't have been raised in the family I was raised in. If there was a God, I wouldn't have got this medical report and this problem I'm having. If there was a God, I wouldn't have lost my job. We say those kind of things, or we hear people say those kinds of things, and I want you to know something. Trouble has never dictated the presence of God or the hand of God in our lives. It has never negated it. Trouble is to be expected. Suffering is not proof that God is unable to keep his promises with us. At the moment we're in, we're suffering, but God has a plan for us through that difficult time, through that suffering. We remain in the fight even though there's suffering. Peter goes on to give us some good news in the middle of this. 
And that news is this. Your life is ordered of the Lord. Your life is not random. Your life is not just kind of spilling out and you don't know what's going on or what's going to happen next. God is ordering our lives. He says that he has called you to his eternal glory. I want to read verse 2 from the message version where it says this. God the Father has his eye on each of you and is determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. He has called us. You're favored and you're chosen by the Father. His grace empowers us. And the word grace means God's power. God's grace empowers us during a time of difficulty and suffering. His grace increases for us in time of need. When the, when the pressure is up, the grace goes up. As, J, as James boldly states, he says, he gives more grace. More grace. Paul testifies in, to the Romans that it's grace that makes us stand. So as we look at this end, there are four promises that Peter gives us for Peter or for people who are in suffering. And uh, if you're going to write anything down today, I would jot down these four things. The first one is this. You are a partaker of eternal life. You are a partaker of eternal life. In verse number 10, Peter says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You have been called to eternal glory, not temporary comfort. We say it again, because Pastor Brent said it was good. (laughs) You have been called, you have been called to eternal glory, not temporary comfort. When you get to heaven, you're not going to say, oh boy, I'm so glad to be here, but life was kind of rough, it kind of just takes the gloss off it for me. No, we've been called to eternal glory, and the temporary difficulties or the suffering that we have on the way is just working toward that time of eternity. Eternal glory is not affected by temporary or passing seasons. It doesn't change anything. Look at verse 3 and 4. In his great mercy, well, this is chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, excuse me. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you your inheritance your promise of heaven the eternity that you are going to step into much sooner than we ever think is going to be it's going to be we're on the way when we get there we're going to remember something that this inheritance can never perish it can never spoil it can never fade it's kept for us and momentary suffering does not remove the glory of eternity And when people write songs like, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus, they understood it. The second thing that Peter says is, is that when we think of suffering, remember this, he will restore you. He will restore you. Verse number 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. Suffering has a way of draining us. 
Loss, suffering, pressure, opposition, attacks in our lives, they have a way of draining us. And so what does Peter say? Jesus Christ himself will restore us after periods of suffering. Right now, if you're in a period of suffering, you're going through a difficult time, anxiety or cares or worries or outside pressures or internal pressures are on you, Jesus is not only aware of those, but he has committed himself 100% to restoring you through that. That whatever loss may have come, whatever the locusts may have eaten, as Joel says, or whatever, whatever things may have, uh, have been drained away, our energy or our purpose or our joy may have been damaged through a time of suffering, he himself has taken up the ministry of restoring us. He will restore us. Restore has an interesting root word that we don't see when we read it. The Greek word for restore was applied to a ship that had been battered in a storm. And after that ship had been brought into the harbor, the workers would go and they would restore it back to being battle ready. They would put the mast back in shape. They would repair the sails. They would find the holes in the hull and they would repair them. They would go to the deck where the decking had been damaged. They would, they would go completely through that ship and restore it to being like new so that it was again ready for service, specifically military, that it would be battle ready. And so when Peter says this, that Jesus Christ will restore us, it's saying that Jesus will get us battle ready again. When we have been beaten in life, when we've gone through a difficult time, when, when the storms have been a lot, when the pressure's been a lot, when Satan did get his blows in or people got their blows in, Jesus comes into our life and our situation. He says, let me work in you to get you battle ready again. You're not going to go through life damaged and bruised. You're going to go through life restored and made like new. Jesus Christ himself will restore you and make you battle ready. The third promise that Peter gives is this. He says he will make you strong. Read in the verse again, verse 10. The God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong. This word strong indicates that he will make you stronger than before. Stronger than before. That you will come out of that better. You're going to come out of this time of suffering better than you were before. And it reminds us of what Isaiah said and during this time of intense suffering and struggle that Israel was going through and that Isaiah saw coming Isaiah said this, he spoke for God when he said, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. It's the same understanding, the same words. I will strengthen you, I will make you stronger than you were before, I will help you, I will hold you with my righteous right hand. The word strong here in the Greek word that, uh, that Peter used means to be fixed in position. Something that can't be moved is strong. So it's like a, like, like a foundation that's been put down into the ground. It's like a, a post or a, a huge column that's, that's gone deep into the ground and concrete around it, and it is now immovable. Peter says, during this time, you may have felt shoved around. You may have felt like things were unsteady in your life. But God is not only going to restore you, but he's going to make you strong. He's going to plant you so that 
you are so strong that these pressures will never have the same influence on you again. I'm going to make you strong. This word strong means to be unyielding in purpose. That the, that the purpose and the, and the things that God has called you to, you are not going to be pushed around. And I love to be able to say that to the enemy, aren't you? I'm sorry, you can't push me around. Because why? Jesus has made me strong. The Holy Spirit has strengthened me. I've not only been restored, I'm unyielding in my purpose. You can come from a time of testing with a clarity of calling, an unshakable foundation for your future. God uses those times. The fourth one is, Peter says, I will make you firm and steadfast. I know it sounds kind of like the same, but the, he, find, he ends that scripture by saying, not only will I make you strong, I'm going to make you firm and steadfast. When God called Joshua, they were, they were facing uh, an amazing challenge. We're going to go into the promised land. You're going to cross the Jordan River. You're going you're to take down cities. You're going to fight giants. You're going to do all these things. And I, I'm sure it seemed a little overwhelming. Yet what God said to him went right along with this firm and steadfast command. Because there in Joshua 1.9, God said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So let me ask you today, what kind of times are you facing right now? It's very likely that something that Peter touched on in this scripture strikes close to your home experience. Maybe you're in times of anxiety. There's an there's a inner war, a battle that's going on. Your mind might be under assault. Your emotions might be spiraling. You may be going through a, a time where you need, like Jesus spoke to Peter in the middle of the storm, you might need Jesus to speak peace into your life. And you might today say, I need to take that step of casting my anxieties on him, knowing that he cares for me, and I need to leave them in his hands and know that from this point forward, my anxieties belong to him. Maybe you're under a time of actual attack. You hear the roaring of the enemy, and he's trying to freeze you up and to keep you from being effective. He's trying to take you out of your, out of your, of your purpose. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy your ministry. He's trying to destroy you and the job. You know that the enemy is working against you. There's an adversary that you're battling. Today, we can call on God and say, I, I, I want to be firm. I want to be steadfast. I want my purpose to be unchangeable no matter what the enemy is doing. Some today might be in a place of needing restoration. You say, man, I've been through it. I have been through so much. And Jesus Christ himself is here today to promise you and to give you restoration. In 1943... There was a housewife. She was a pastor's wife, had five children. Her name was uh, Ruth Kay. And Ruth was at home cooking dinner, and she was just reflecting on all that was going on. 1943, World War II was in full swing. And uh, every day there was the reports in the newspapers. They'd watch those newsreels and things and hear about what was going on in Japan and what was going on with Germany and all these nations that were raging against one another. And when Ruth would go to the 
uh, store to try to buy food for her family. There was rationing. It was hard to get enough. Uh, they had to have their lights blacked out so that they, they were feared, uh, fearful of bombers coming over even in, into the United States. And she, and she was just so upset and felt such anxiety. And she just stopped her work and she sat down at the kitchen table, got out paper and pencil, and she began to write her thoughts. And it came out as a poem. And she wrote, in times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Then she wrote a little chorus to it. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Well, she was a bit of a musician, so she thought, that's a pretty good poem. I'm going to put music to it. So she wrote some simple little tune to it, and she took it to church soon. She sang it there for the people, and they all sang it, and people felt encouraged by the song during these difficult times that the country was facing. Other churches heard the song, picked it up, and sang it, and She was glad that it was an encouragement. Fast forward about 25 years. Ruth is now living at home. Her kids are all grown. It's empty nest. And she turns on the TV and Billy Graham is having a big crusade in a stadium. And Billy gets up and stands at the pulpit and he says, Just before I come to preach, I'm going to ask George, Beverly Shea. For those of you my age, you you remember this kind of scene. He says, I'm going to ask George to come and sing a song that I think might minister to you. She was shocked when George Beverly Shea got up and sang, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure. Live with surety, knowing your anchor holds and grips a solid rock. This rock is Jesus. today. My heart goes out to people who are suffering. My heart goes out to people who are in anxiety. My heart goes out to people who are saying, I'm drifting. I'm, I'm frozen with fear. I'm frozen with, with stress. Today, God has something so much better for you than that. To stand, to, to resist the enemy, to be restored, and to be strong and steadfast is God's purpose for you. So I'd like you to stand with me today. And I'm going to pray with you right where you're standing today for people who would say, I'm in that moment of anxiety. I'm living that stress. I am living with the reality of I need restoration. I'm feeling wobbly. I don't know if I can stand and go forward. I want you to know that the rock Christ Jesus is available for you today. And I'm going to ask you to do something while you're standing. If you Say, this resonates with me. Peter's words resonate with me. And I need God today to work in my life. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to lift up your hand and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I need to grip the solid rock. I need to be very sure where I stand. 
and know that He holds me. His grace is sufficient for me. He's going to move me into healing. He's going to move me into a better place than I've ever been. I'm not going to be afraid of the enemy or his attacks because I am on the solid rock. Pray with me now. I pray in the name of Jesus for every hand is lifted up. We're reaching up our hand to you because we're going to grip the solid rock today. The name of Jesus is all we need. The power of Christ, the grace of God is what I need today because I'm going to remain in this fight. I'm going to cast my anxieties on Him. I'm going to come to Him for restoration. And so right now, I want to pray with us some some specifics. If you're saying anxiety is ruling my life, I want you to call out to God with me now. In the name of Jesus, I cast my anxieties upon Jesus. I cast my anxieties upon you, Lord, because you care for me and you are the only one able and you are more than willing to take up my anxieties. Anxieties over my future, my health, my finances, my family. I give these things to you. Anxieties that plague me because of things that I've done in the past. I give you my anxieties today. I cast them upon you and I will pick them up no more. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the relief that is coming to my life now as I give you these things. And now for people who are saying, Pastor, I need to be made strong. I'm, I've gone through it. I've gone through the battles. I've gone through attacks. I've gone through persecution. And it's left me feeling insecure, feeling weak, feeling unsure about my future. And today I need restoration I need to be made strong and steadfast. I want you to raise your hand up if that's you right now. Hold it up high. I need this. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and every every woman, every student that's in this room who says, I need the strength of the Lord. I need him to restore me. I need Jesus Christ himself to establish me, to put me on the rock, to give me all I need for going forward. I thank you for this in your powerful name. I receive it. Amen. Amen. Before we leave today, I want you to take your phone or pick up one of the connection cards, the paper one, and I want you to just commit to writing something that we can pray for you about today regarding this message. If if there is an anxiety that you're getting rid of and you want prayer, put it there because this week the prayer team is going to pray. If you're seeking restoration, you're looking for the strength the Lord has for you, please write that down. Take a moment to do that just before I dismiss you in prayer. All right? As you're writing, I want to tell you how Peter ended this section in verse number 11. One little phrase that we can stand on today. It says this, To him be the power forever and ever Amen. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The power is not given to the enemy for him to plague you. The power is not given to your past for it to haunt you. The power is not given to to your anxieties for them to keep you from moving forward. The power belongs to Jesus Christ. To, To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And when it ends with amen, that means and so be it. Sealed with a punch. Amen to him. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful blessed day. Greet somebody with a big hug, okay? Peter even says greet him with a holy kiss. It's up to you.
All right, bless you. Thank you.